Welcome back to Thriving in Babylon. As we have seen in this series, there's a lot we can learn from the story of Daniel about how we are called to live as Christians in our culture today. Instead of throwing in the towel of our faith, we have been encouraged to trust in the sovereignty of God, hope in our eternal home, and treat everyone with love and respect. In this last session, Larry will explain how to navigate culture with wisdom like Daniel did. We'll consider when we should compromise, when we should stand firm in our convictions, and when we might be creating extra rules and fear. First, let's hear from Ezra. He was on tour with his band when he came across a gospel event in a bar. Yes, discussions about faith in a bar. Listen as he shares how his willingness to go to places others are uncomfortable going has led to opportunities to impact God's kingdom. been invited when I was touring to a bar in Dallas. Decided to visit it, went in, it was remarkable. And they were having an event with a speaker who was speaking to the veracity of scripture and taking questions from the crowd. Seeing that boldness was absolutely riveting. Told my wife I'd really like to do an outreach, specifically targeted in pubs. Prayed and waited a few months later they built a pub on my house. Uh, came here and asked them if I could do a ministry outreach on Sunday evenings and was told absolutely not. Sat on the idea for several months, continued praying, came back and there was a new manager. She said that she would check with the, uh, the owners. The owners remembered me from my band and said yes. So it started here at the Gentleman in Fort Worth. We had roughly 30, 40 people in two years, we have grown from 40 friends to 600 people. We decided to call our ministry the Bible and Beer Consortium. The name has caused uh, some questions and some concerns, largely from people who've never been to events. Had an instance here at the Gingerman where a pastor came to an event, and he came here to confront me. But after seeing the event, openly asked my forgiveness and said that it was an amazing thing to witness firsthand. That was, that was incredible, that someone would prayerfully come here, even against their tradition, to see what in the world is it that someone is doing, having discussions in a bar. I promote the events through social media. Um, Hundreds show up, but there are always those that are there at the bar, they're unaware of what's going on, that afterwards tell me what they love it. Um, we've seen them return time and time again and bring friends. I see at BBC events hundreds of people that have said openly they would never visit a church, but they will come to bars to hear things that are explicitly pro-God, pro-Bible, but it is well worth it seeing people changed, seeing people brought into discussions that they would avoid otherwise. There is no gospel-free zone. What we are called to do, what I'm called to do, goes into very dark places, but in those places, His light shines even brighter.
You know, there's a word that we as Christians often find ourselves uncomfortable with, but it's really not always a bad word. It's a word, compromise. One of the things that jumps out to me about Daniel is not only his hope, not only his humility, but his wisdom to pick his battles incredibly carefully. I mean, when you look back at Daniel, he didn't seem to be bothered when his name was changed from one that honored Jehovah God to being called Satan's prince, Belshazzar, his new name. Uh, it didn't seem to bother him when he was asked to study astrology and the occult for three years. In fact, he didn't pout about it and sit in the back and complain. He sat in the front row and graduated number one in his class. He didn't seem to be really all that upset when he was put into service of the godless king that had destroyed his country, had, had taken things from the temple and mocked God. Somehow in all of those situations, he made a compromise. Now, there were times where he decided to draw the line. One of those was where God had a very clear law uh, as far as diet. When he was presented with the king's diet, which was not kosher, he stood his ground very politely and very humbly. He asked if there was a way around it. He got uh, a test given to him of 10 days. At the end of those 10 days, he was found more healthy than those that were eating the non-kosher diet. And so he got away with it. But it seems to be that if he had not been allowed to make that switch, he was willing to suffer the consequences, no matter what they might be. But in so many other areas, he just figured it wasn't worth the fight. And I remember being very confused by that and wondering, what's going on with this? Because like many Christians, the idea of any sort of compromise was seen as, as, as stepping back and not honoring God. And then I realized a very important principle, and it is simply this. There is a difference between what God forbids and what we don't like. There are standards that God puts upon his people, but he doesn't put upon all people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, a passage that talks about church discipline in the body of Christ, there's a list of sins, and we're told if a believer does these things, we are to separate from them. But at the same time, we're told that we're not to separate from non-believers who do these things because we'd have to leave the world. And of course, we would have no influence. And that seems to have been a real key for Daniel, to be able to pick his battles. For there was a command against practicing astrology in the occult, but there was no command against studying it. And frankly, when he graduated number one in his class, rather than refusing to take the class, it set him up for later on when he was able to tell the king that it was a bunch of baloney and the answer to the king's dream that God had given him had come from God, not from all the Babylonian dark arts that he had learned. You know, there's another example of someone who, who uh, drew the line, and, and that would be Rahab. She lied to the authorities to protect the lives of the Hebrew uh, spies that came into town. Back in the day of Moses, the Hebrew midwives were told that they were to uh, kill all the newly born male uh, Jewish boys, and they refused to do that. So there certainly is a time and a place where we need to stand strong, but we must never fall into the easy trap of what I'm uncomfortable with, God forbids. Or what God asked me as a Christian to do, he commands everybody else to do. My earliest memory of, of God was when I was around age eight. I just remember looking off into the sky and talking to God and then asking if he was real. And when I said that, um, the whole sky lit up with lightning. And for me, that was just an affirmation. I knew at that moment that I wanted to follow him for the rest of my life. 
Although I did, you know, want to follow God and I, and I had faith, of course I messed up and, and made some bad choices. Uh, I did become pregnant at 16 going through my, my teen pregnancy and a lot of the, the problems that I'd had in my, in my first relationship created so much stress that I ended up dropping out of high school. And a few years later, I found myself working for Planned Parenthood. I, I felt like it was a great achievement to be offered this position as a manager to run this clinic. And, and that was my mindset initially going in, um, thinking that my hands were clean, I wasn't directly involved. I didn't facilitate in any way with abortion, but it wouldn't be until just a few months into working for Planned Parenthood that I realized that that was not the case. I remember a young woman coming in. She was a college-aged young lady. I sat her down in the exam room and said, you know, congratulations on your pregnancy. But I had failed to see that the young woman wanted a referral for abortion. And she said, you know, I've made my decision. This is, this is what we want to do. And my boyfriend and I have talked about it. And I said, okay. And so I gave her, you know, the, the form that has the information to where she could receive her abortion. And of course, one of them being, you know, the Planned Parenthood. She left in tears. And I went into my office and I shut the door and I began to cry. I just felt like I had betrayed God. And I felt like I was betraying everything that I had believed in and held dear and true to myself for so long. And so I, I, had, to, I had to confront that head on. And that was something that I, I found very difficult because I wanted to keep my job. But then I had all of this, these moral conflicts that were taking place. I couldn't sleep at night. I, I couldn't look at myself in the mirror most days. Um, because I realized that by being silent and by ref making referrals and by not speaking up for these innocent babies in the womb and their mothers, that I was directly facilitating an abortion and I was directly involved in a great deal of sin. When I walked away from Planned Parenthood, I walked away from everything and we didn't know where that next paycheck was gonna come from. We didn't know how we were gonna pay for the mortgage or pay for our car. And I thought back to that time when I was a little girl, you know, eight years old and telling God that I would always follow him. And I felt like for me, this was a, a second chance. Even though I didn't know exactly where God was calling me, I knew that God was calling me to always speak up and not be silent anymore. Have you ever been in a situation where your personal convictions were challenged like Ramona? Her story is one of courageous wisdom. Though Ramona needed her job, she held firm to her convictions by leaving it, and she trusted God to provide. What if she had been too scared to leave? How can we avoid living in fear? Let's find out. When it comes to having wisdom in Babylon, one of the things we've got to be careful of is that we don't fall in the trap of becoming what I like to call scaredy-cat Christians. Now, what's a scaredy cat Christian? Well, candidly, it's somebody who gives Satan way too much credit. So we become afraid of events, of holidays, of places, of things and people, as if somehow we can catch his evil by osmosis. We need to remember that he is a liar. That's his nature. He's been a liar from the very beginning. And, but what scaredy cat Christians do is they believe all of his lies and they end up thinking that anything that uh, is slightly touched by him or is influenced by him or the evil in our world somehow by osmosis will bring us down. He doesn't have that much power. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. 
actually, when we fall into scaredy cat Christianity, what we tend to do is we, 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 we make our God look weak to the world around us. Uh, Non-Christians look and they, they shake their head like, so you're afraid of this holiday or you're afraid of that or you won't go here or you won't do that. And, and what, what has happened is we've usually fallen into one of two traps or made one of two mistakes. The first one is a trap called legalism. Now, now legalism leads to scaredy cat Christianity because we are afraid God will be angry at us if we don't keep a bunch of rules that frankly aren't found in the Bible. Here's the weird thing about legalism. There's always a Bible verse for every extra man-made rule. So legalism is based on the Bible, but in reality, it's never found in the Bible. These are rules that like the Pharisees of New Testament days we make because we want to help God out. He has a fence here, so we decide to put two or three fences out in front of it just to make sure. Well, the end of the day, when we have a bunch of man-made fences, people out there who are looking at us, they confuse our man-made fences with God's fences. And they look at us and they think, what in the world is wrong with us? We'll never make God look bad when we live in line with His rules, but we always make Him look weak when we have to add extra rules to the things that he's told us in the Bible. Now, there's a, another form of it, and it's, it's what I call spiritual cooties. Now, what I mean by spiritual cooties, it's, it's maybe you remember in elementary school, it's that uh, person or whatever that everybody ran away from, and they said, oh, they got cooties, they got cooties. If they touch me, I've got whatever it is they had. Well, we often feel like the things of the enemy, by, again, osmosis, can somehow touch us and bring us down. I like to tell the story of a spear that I have in my office. I had the privilege of uh, being 200 miles into the Amazon. And it was with a group of people who uh, up to 11 years before I was there had never had any contact with civilization. Uh, I was a real live witch doctor in this little village. And uh, during one night he was doing his drugged up incantation, screaming and yelling and doing all this stuff. Well, the next morning I went over to him and I asked him if I could have, through an interpreter obviously, his spear. Uh, I wanted the spear that he used in his demonic ceremony. And, and by the way, it's one of only a couple times in my life where I knew I was in the presence of absolutely demonic power. It was a scary situation. I took his sword, I forget, uh, a spear, I took a spear, I forget what I gave him for it, and I took it home. It's in my office today. It is there as a reminder that I have nothing to fear from a lying enemy. The greater is the Lord in me, as I said earlier, than he who is in the world. But you'd be shocked how many people tell me bad things are gonna happen to you because I've had that spear. Well, I've had that spear for about 25 years in that office, and I wanna tell you nothing but good things have happened because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's no reason to be a scaredy cat. There's no reason for legalism. There's no reason to fear spiritual cooties. Just follow what God has said to do. Live with wisdom, live with humility, hold on to hope, and you can thrive in Babylon. We can be tempted as Christians to run away from anything secular or popular in culture. But like we saw in this session, there is wisdom in compromise and wisdom in knowing the difference between what God actually forbids and what we just don't like. As you head into your group discussion, consider how you navigate living in the world but not of the world. Think about where you might need to put your foot down or how your fear of culture might be leading you down a legalistic road that isolates you from reflecting Christ to others. 
And finally, I hope you will encourage each other about how to not only survive, but thrive where God has you today. Thank you for watching.